listening to episode 6 of A Little Bit of Python, an occasional podcast with Michael Ford, Jesse Noller, Brett Cannon, Andrew Kutchling and Steve Holden. This is a special episode recorded at PyCon Atlanta 2010. If you have any feedback, suggestions or just flames, you can email them to all at bitofpython.com. You're listening to a little bit of Python. This is Michael Ford, and I'm sitting in what was the green room, the speakers room, at PyCon 2010 in Atlanta. The sprints are still on, but there's not so many folk here. And I'm sitting here with Van Lindbergh, who is one of the members of the the Python Software Foundation. He was the the chairman for PyCon organizing it, and well, we'll find out if he's up for the challenge again. Van's a very, very clever guy. He's he's an author, very tech savvy, but uh, he's a lawyer, and we don't hate him. So, hello, Van. It's great to be speaking with you. It's it's good to be speaking with you as well. I'm glad to be doing it. How have you found PyCon this year? I've loved it. I think it, in a lot of ways, it's it may sound self-serving, but I think this has been one of the best PyCons ever. We've been able to, over the course of a couple of years, iron out some of the some of the little wrinkles that inevitably come up, and so I think that we're getting to the point where we're pretty good at this. And it's a, it's a lot of fun. Cool. And, and how, how many years have you been involved in organizing PyCon? In organizing, this is my third year. Uh, I did attend one year before that. So I've been at PyCon at least four years and then organizing for three. That's, that's the same. This is my fourth PyCon. And even in just um, the space of sort of, well, three years, I guess, end to end, PyCon has changed quite, quite a lot in that time. And one of the ways it's uh, changed has been the, the number of attendees. Oh, yes. Uh, we are... If you look at four years ago versus today, we, it looks like we're going to be almost double, exactly double the size. Our best estimate right now is that we had over 1,100 attendees. Really, 1,100? Yes. Uh, we. So that's the, be- that's the best ever? That's the, yes, it's the largest ever. This is also the largest in terms of the amount and variety of material that we, we've ever had. We, we had an extra track this year, is that, that we, all right? That's right. We had uh, five tracks, which was 95 talks. We had a total of 28 tutorials, and we also had the poster sessions this year. That was another new thing for, for PyCon. How do you think that went? I think it went incredibly well. I heard a lot of people say that they were planning on submitting posters for next year. The only S- complaint was that we didn't have enough. So this year we had a tremendous trouble selecting the talks. We had about twice as many talks as we did um, slots to, to put in them. So that was a very difficult job. But... Um, I, th- I think we were able to accommodate almost all of the people who, who wanted to do poster sessions. So you're saying next year, selecting posters is going to be just as hard as selecting talks was this year. I think that's right. And we're already getting ideas for talks and posters for next year. People are just really excited. One of the things in particular that we're going to be doing ne- for next year is Extreme PyCon. Ah, right. I've heard, this sounds great. <laughs> we're, we're borrowing a uh, page from the late 1990s or early 2000s marketing materials, computer marketing materials, everything had to be extreme. But this is going to be a series of of sessions, talks, one in each time slot, where we're going to be finding domain experts and people who are really good communicators and telling them, talk talk like you're talking to your peers. Talk about the problems that you're facing and how you're addressing them. And it gives them permission to skip some of the introductory material because right. we'll have four other tracks of, of talks, a lot of which will 
have introductory material. But for those who really want to have a... The mega advanced stuff. Yes. I mean, we've got some enormously clever people in, in, in the Python community. We've got people like um, Ian Bicking, and we've got the, the PyPy guys. We've got the, the, the Unladen Swallow guys. These are enormously clever people, yet people have still seemed reluctant to submit the sort of really advanced talks. So it, it was interesting that the, the, the most popular talk, or certainly it seemed that way to me, was David Beasley's talk on the internals of the, the Python Global Interpreter Lock. You know, something not, not for the faint-hearted. Yes, that... I think what it is is that people are afraid sometimes that if they talk about something that is somewhat hard or somewhat obscure, there just won't be as as much call for it. It won't be as popular. Right. But, but um, I mean, Alex Martelli, Raymond Hettinger, these guys do a, a advanced talks on Python patterns, the, the Python internals, and they're always very well attended. I, th I, think, I, th I think people are also nervous of pushing themselves forward and sort of saying, hey, I'm advanced, I can do advanced stuff, and they, they, they sort of... It's a bit easier to do a, a middle-range talk, perhaps. I think, that's, I think that's true, and that's one reason why we're trying to, to line these up early. We'll give, we'll give people a whole year to <laughs> come up with something Start that they... Start preparing your extreme PyCon talk now. Exactly. I, I'm really looking forward to that. That sounds like it's going to be great. So did you actually get to go to much of the talk? I, I imagine you kept fairly busy during the conference. I got to attend three sessions. Three sessions? Okay. Yes. Which uh, is out of how many talks did we have? Ninety-five. Yes. Man. <laughs> Most of the time, you know, you you sort of feel like a, a bee, you know, flitting from one little spot to another, back and forth, because you know, sort of need to keep your your finger on the pulse of what's going on. Still, I was very excited. The one that uh, the one that I liked best was natural language processing oh, with right. okay. yep. with uh, NLTK and Hadoop. Wow. And so Hadoop is a distributed platform, right? Is that yes. The, is that the Yahoo guys? Yes, it's the uh, it's a Java implementation of uh, the MapReduce framework. Right, right. And what they talked about is being able to apply uh, apply natural language processing techniques across a cluster using Hadoop. Wow, wow. I think I mean, that's that sounds really interesting. I think. Um, Libraries like the Natural Language Toolkit, and then there's a frame, uh, frameworks like SciPy, and mm -hmm. you find whole sort of domain areas where the, the Python libraries um, are, are the thing to use, and that they bring people into, into Python, the scientists and the, the engineers. I think so. I mean, there are a lot of little islands of Python users. Animation, uh, particularly animation pipelines, is completely owned by Python. It's, this, it's the de facto integrated scripting language in just about every major uh, animation uh, product. Yep. I, we, I did an interview uh, earlier on with Paul Hildebrandt of, of Disney, and uh, they use an enormous amount of, uh, of, of Python in their, in their animations. Yes, and not, not just Disney. Uh, Pixar, uh, DreamWorks. That's Weta. Weta, yes. Every one of them. It, it, the entire industry is more or less standardized around Python as the scripting language interface. So how did you get into Python then? Well, I was, uh, before I was a lawyer, I, uh, I was a programmer and programmed in, you know, a dozen different languages of, of different types. Was this at, at college or before college? Uh, this was at college. Um, I had done some stuff before college, but not real serious. And when I came to Python, I just fell in love with it. We talk about how Python fits your brain. I just felt that at, l at last I was not fighting with the language to try and express myself. And so 
you know, I can still do stuff in, in Java or C, but when I can, I do it in Python. But Python's not your not your day job. You're you're, you're a lawyer, but you have a very interesting um, job, um, interesting job title. Would, would you like to tell us a little bit about what you do? Yes, uh, I am an intellectual property and open source lawyer. Uh, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> it's uh, I try not to be evil. <laughs> what, you're, you're, you're the you're the lawyer for the uh, amongst other things for the Python Software Foundation, right? That's correct. So definitely not evil. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I spend about half my time working on uh, patent-related issues and about half the time re- working on open-source-related issues. And one of the things that I think is interesting in, and I think is quite fun is that for patents, I, I, I focus on this area of patent law. Call, uh, uh, it's a patent practice called reexamination. And that is where you find uh, prior art and you go through this process to submit it to the patent office and convince them that a patent was granted in error. Right. And if you do it right, uh, the patent will ultimately end up getting revoked. So the Free Software Foundation have had a very successful and well-publicized campaign of of, um, trying to get several... um Particularly bad patents re-examined. Have you have you been in, in, involved in that? Or, or is it, sorry, not, no, it's, it's the, the EFF. It's the EFF. On, yes, uh, that is the that's the same process that I do. Uh, I've not been involved in, in that one, although I think I, I applaud what they're doing. Most uh, most of the time, when when I'm doing things, it is uh, you know one of my clients has been sued by a stupid patent, and we help that patent go away. So you fight the patent trolls. I fight patent trolls. It, it, it makes me glad to be on the on the winning side, on the non-evil side. And um, in this whole area of um, intellectual property and how it relates to open source, you wrote a you wrote a book on the subject. Yes, I, I, I read the book. It's a, it's um, I think it's incredible because it's it's a book about law that's actually fun to read. <laughs> so I was I was very, I was very, um, I really enjoyed it. it I, I think it's something that um, every open source developer ought to read. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the book? And yeah, um, this was. What, what's, the, what's the title? Of the, the, book? The, the title is "Intellectual Property and Open Source." What the idea was that there were a, a lot of programmers and developers. You know, these are the people on the front lines creating and using intellectual property. But if you look at Slashdot or Reddit or News.yc or wherever you go. There's just a tremendous amount of noise and argument about the principles of intellectual property. And most of that is just simply not right. And so uh, perhaps it's quixotic, but I've, I'm sort there's of... somebody wrong on the Internet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there's somebody wrong on the Internet. So you set out to put them right. I set out to put them right. Uh, it's... Uh, one-man quest to try and raise the level of debate around intellectual property. touches everything from, you know, the term intellectual property, what does it mean, you know, why is there such a thing, why did... Richard Stallman had a few things to say on that, did, on the subject. <laughs> he did. Yours is a very, your book is a very pragmatic approach. It's not um, an ideological book. It's about this is the law and this, uh, this is the way it applies. Mm-hmm. Yes, I tried very hard to to as closely as possible describe the way that I thought that things would apply and the way that a court would see different situations. 
and not really trying to change the world, just trying to explain it because we all, again, this is the, the, the world we live in. We need to, we consume and we create intellectual property and we need to, un and people need to understand how that works, even if they don't support it in all the ways in which it is currently being used. Right, sure. You know, I surely, I surely don't. I still agree with the concept of a, a lot of types of intellectual property, but I think, but I also recognize that there are a lot of excesses that I don't agree with. Well, one of the interesting things I took away from the book was that um, that the free software licenses that, that we rely on for, for uh, as open source developers and distributing pro uh, projects, the way that those licenses get their validity from the existing copyright law and from the intellectual property law, so that if you if you release something under an open source license, you're actually using copyright law, and having some understanding of that is, is very helpful. Yes, absolutely. So, Van, we, we've talked about PyCon this year, how it was a great success. Um, we had more people than we've ever had before. We, we also had a, a higher percentage of, of women that we've had in previous years, right? Yes. Uh, that was... I have to, I have to congratulate uh, Gloria Jacobs. Uh, and Steve Holden. Uh, together, those two really put together and spearheaded an effort to uh, recruit women and bring them to PyCon. And so it may not seem like a tremendously high percentage, but we think that we had about 11% women. It was definitely um, noticeable that there were much more, uh, many more women. Other open source conferences generally have around 1% to 2% women. And so, although we're n it's nowhere near parity, for uh, a, te a technology-focused conference, and particularly an open-source conference, we're way uh, we're, we're pulling far ahead of our weight. Uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting is that during uh, Guido Van Rossum's uh, keynote, he was wearing a, a T-shirt that said "Python is for girls," and someone asked him about the the T-shirt and said, "What about Python makes it particularly suited for girls?" And he said, "Well." There's nothing that makes it particularly suited for boys either, so it must be equally suited for girls. Um, and so what about next year? We've talked about Extreme PyCon. Are you already starting to, to, to plan PyCon 2011? Uh, a little bit, yes. We're starting to put together the team. There will be a couple, couple of weeks of work just to make sure that we tie a bow around PyCon 2010, making sure doing all the final accounting and making sure all that uh, is handled, but there's a lot of exciting things around uh, PyCon 2011. One thing that I hadn't, hadn't thought of earlier is we are going we are going to be having vendor tutorials in 2011. Now this is something that we've never done before, and this these will be in addition to the regular tutorials. The thing that made me think of this was our discussion of how there are these islands of Python users that use Python because it's embedded into frequently a, a proprietary product, you know, ESRI's ArcGIS or, or Mayer in the uh, yes or in the animation world. Exactly. There's always been a reluctance on the part of the organizers and the program committee to have tutorials that were based around a proprietary product. But for those who are using the proprietary product in their job, they'd like to know how to use Python to make it better, to, do, to be more productive, to, to use their, their tools that they've already got more in, in a more efficient way. And, and this is um, 
perhaps a way of reaching it. There are a lot of companies and organisations who use Python who we're, we're not, we haven't really been very effective are reaching, I don't think. I think there are there are tens of thousands of, of, of Python programmers out there who get an enormous amount of, uh, out of uh, PyCon, and and by reaching into the the particular islands that that they're working in, this is one way we can we can bring them into the community a, a, a bit more. Exactly, PyCon is such a, a fantastic experience, and it allows us to uh, address the entire community. We have we're, we have a growing ecosystem of people who are embedding Python and using it in all sorts of places. And, and of course, there's Iron Python and Jython, both of which in, in recent years have really grown in, in popularity and bringing Python into, into, into other programming communities as well. Yes. And so having sessions dedicated to integration with those other platforms and those other products... I think will be a tremendously interesting and valuable part of, of PyCon 2011. Well, it sounds like it's going to be great, so I'll, I'll see you in 2011 at the next PyCon. Dan. Sounds good. Thanks very much Take for talking care. to us. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.